So for the next few months, we're going to be looking at the book of Hebrews. And we're going to be looking at uh, the supremacy and the importance of Christ. And I want to start by saying this. Have you ever heard it said, been told, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. I hear it a lot. Just ask my wife. It's not, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And because of that, when you're in a relationship with somebody, and, and me and my wife are blessed because we get to celebrate two anniversaries, and for a long time we never told people that we had two anniversaries, but we have two. I got, I got married twice to the love of my life, so I'm, I'm blessed. So uh, long story short is that uh, yesterday was legally 31 years of marriage because we got married so I could get a green card. Not literally that way. We were going to get married, but it was easier for, for me if my dad couldn't go through citizenship quick enough for me to get stay here. And I had already proposed to Shelley. So my, my future mother-in-law and father-in-law and my dad and my stepmom, Carol, decided that it would be a good idea. Nobody has to know. You can still keep your February 14th wedding date. That's when we got married in 1992. But you could go to the courthouse, say your vows, and then we'll go out for dinner. I love food, so I'm like, yes. So we, we went to, I wish it was still there. Maria, is it Maria's? Maria's. Oh. And that's where we went. It was well worth getting married. So, so, so we, we got married and we celebrated uh, 31 years yesterday. But that's all right. When you date somebody or when you, and, and, and this is something I encourage people who's in a relationship to do for their whole life, is that you have to woo them and they have to woo you. Okay? And so I went to a, after I became a Christian, I went to a pr- first Promise Keepers. I remember this one speaker, and I remember two things that he said. The first one has no relevance to the sermon, but I'm going to tell you anyway. He told, he said that, that, do you know what's wrong with Christians? He said, when they go out after church to a restaurant, they are the lousiest tippers on the planet. They think that if they leave a track... They've tipped well. And he said, this is what he does. And this is what he said. He said, when he walks into a restaurant and the waitress or waiter comes up to him, he actually gives them money and tips them before. That's what they think. But he just gives them some money. And then he eats his meal. And then when he gets his bill, he actually tips them. So they get twice because he says Christians should be the most generous people on the planet not the stingiest people on the planet I mean I, I agree with him I don't do the practice where I tip first but I won't go out to eat if I can't leave a good tip 
I won't go to a restaurant because I think I need to lead by example. So if I can't leave, and, and do you know what's beautiful about this? My son, Ryan, who comes here sometimes, on, he tips the same way as his dad. And I like that, that he learned something from me. But that's got no relevance to today's topic. This does, though. After he goes through this, he says what he does is when he leaves the house, before his wife wakes up, he would leave a love note to his wife. So I've been a Christian for 19 years. I went to that first Promise Keepers that first year I became a Christian. So when I leave the house, like today, this morning, I left early. I, I've got stocks in post-it notes because I stick post-it notes around the house with little love notes on it. Okay? So, and it, no, not because of me, because somebody gave me the idea. If you're... It, Women, just close your ears a minute. If you're a guy, if you're a guy and you want to know how to woo your wife, Google search it. That's what the internet was invented for. You know, you take, you steal ideas from other people and then you do it. And I still do that. I mean, when I went to uh, work in New Orleans, I hid them all over the house where she could find them at different times for like a month after I left. So it, it's just something that I'm not going to stop doing and I'm going to woo my wife. And this is what God does. This is what God does. They said all that to say this. God woos you. That is why God speaks, because he's wooing you. And the problem is, the book of Hebrews was written before 70 AD, more than likely, because they were still practicing uh, temple worship, and they were still, still making sacrifices. And after the temple got destroyed, they stopped doing that. So, so Hebrews was written. We don't know who wrote it. More than likely, I believe, it, 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 it could have been Paul. He mentions Timothy in the letter later. But more than likely, more than likely, it was somebody who knew Paul, like Luke, or it could have, it could have been somebody else, uh, Barnabas, somebody who knew. But they would have had to also know a lot about the Old Testament, the, 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 the Jewish, Jewish writing. Not just the letters from Paul. Because Hebrews deals with a lot of Old Testament stuff. So it's actually basically a sermon. It's what Hebrews is. It's separate sermons that were written to a Jewish culture that were doing this. They were stepping away from God. They, were, they believed at first they were, they were Jewish people that had came to the faith in Christ, had been following Christ for some years. They were, they were, let's call them professional Christians, right? And then they started adding, adding to it. And then they were, they were so distraught that they were going to start going back to temple worship. They were going to leave the Christian faith. And they were going to leave Jesus. 
So whoever wrote Hebrews wrote this letter to show them who Jesus was. So that's why he's writing mainly then to a Jewish audience, more than likely an audience that lived in Jerusalem. And then the letter went out to all the Jewish people. And then we go, why, why are we studying a book that was wrote to Jewish people? Because all scripture is God-breathed and good for us to learn. And, and we do the same thing as the Jewish people do. We say we believe in Christ, but we don't follow Christ. We don't follow him. It's like, I've been struggling lately with this, the grace thing. Not that I don't believe I'm saved by grace. I believe I'm saved by grace. I believe you're saved by grace. Let's get that clear. I 100% believe the only way to be saved is by grace and grace alone. My struggle is that I'm reading my Bible. And when I read about Jesus, who is supreme, every case that I read where he heals somebody and takes their sin away, he says to them, go sin no more. I'm questioning, why did he say that? If we're stuck in our sin. Why does he say, go sin no more, if it's not capable to do that? Why, when the lady who committed adultery, don't know where the guy was, he got away with it, but the lady is going to be stoned because he is uh, who they've caught. She's sleeping around with somebody else's husband. Okay? And she is going to be stoned to death. And Jesus steps in between her and the Pharisees and all the Jewish people that were going to stone her. And he says, whoever's without sin, cast the first stone. Okay? But then he turns to her after everybody leaves, and he says to her, you're forgiven, go, sin no more. He's saying, don't be a floozy and be sleeping around anymore. And she went and left. And now it doesn't tell you that she didn't sin no more, okay? It doesn't tell you that. But Jesus repeatedly says this, this phrase, go sin no more. I think sometimes we use it as an excuse that we, we're sinners, we're going to sin. I actually think we use it as an excuse. Oh, I don't have to worry about how I act because I'm a sinner and, and it's fun. I think I'm going to sin, by the way. I do think that. But I also think that when I sin, I need to be repentant. I need to go to Christ and and ask for forgiveness. And I think if I'm repeatedly doing the same sin over and over again, I'm doing something wrong and not actually trusting Jesus for the healing power that he gives. Because if God can heal you, okay, because praying prayers for healing, why can't he heal that part of me too? 
If I've got struggles, why can't he heal them, that struggle too? I think he leaves some of the battles for us to trust him more. But I think the excuse to say, I'm a sinner, I sin, is pathetic, in my opinion. The more I read my Bible, the more I'm having trouble with, with them, that statement. Yes, I'm saved by grace. Yes, you're saved by grace. But why, just like Paul says, sin so grace can abound? Obviously, Paul thought it was a choice too. We seem to only want the Jesus that's full of grace, but not the Jesus that tells us not to sin. Not the Jesus that tells us how to live our lives. And I hope after we study the book of Hebrews, we want the Jesus that is Lord over us because we realize how supreme he is. That we want to obey him. Not because we have to, because we get to. We get to follow Jesus. He could have wiped us out. Andrew said it when he was saying his testimony. Why? Why does he save us? So this letter to the Hebrews went... Next slide, John. This letter went to the Christians in danger of slipping back into Judaism because of persecution. See, they were being persecuted. I'm going to stop there because I want to tell you something. And you're going to say in 10 years, God, Ed, you're a prophet. I believe within the next 10 years, the church is going to feel like we're being persecuted a lot more than we do now. I really do. I don't believe we're heading in, in the right direction that we're going to, it's going to get better for us at this stage in history. I believe the more you choose to follow Christ, the more people are not going to like you. You're going to say stuff that doesn't fit with what the world wants, but you're going you're gonna to say stuff that you've got a choice, and this is your choice. Are you going to glorify God by your choices, or are you going to glorify man? Are you going to glorify man or God? Because I'm going to tell you, no church is going to grow by glorifying man. It might look like it's growing if you start accepting culture, starts accepting everything that's going on in the world as okay. But you, you, then you've got you've to put the Bible in the garbage and not believe what that says. God wrote a book and it's been finished. It is complete. So what's in there is all he's writing. He still speaks, but not. If it doesn't line up with scripture, you need to check that you didn't have indigestion when you hear him speak. Because everything that you hear from God that isn't in the Bible has to line up with scripture or it's not the truth. Because he's done writing that book. He's not adding to it or taking anything away. It interpretates the whole Old Testament. It uses the whole Old Testament to back up 
the, the, the supremacy of Christ and who Christ is. Explaining many Jewish practices as symbols that prepared the way for Christ. See, we, gotta, we, we want to chuck the Old Testament in the garbage and we, we don't need to do that. We want to use it. The Old Testament is only called the Old Testament because it's older than the New Testament. That is it. It's all God's word. So it's all profitable for teaching. So it stresses that Christ was from God and is higher than the angels, Moses, Joseph, and any priests or sacrifices. Each chapter recounts the stories of the Old Testament heroes of faith. So today we're going to talk about Jesus is the true and better everything. And that's where I think we fall sometimes in this world because we want to think something out there is better than, than God. And, and, and we, can, we, can, we can think we don't think like that, but we can look at our lives and know that we think like that because we fill our lives with other stuff. We need to get stuff that's going to make us happy and fill our lives. And, and that's, that is fleeting happiness, if it's even happiness at all. So Hebrews 1.1 says this, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. This wasn't a point. God speaks. I just want to get that clear before we read the rest of Hebrews along this path, is that God speaks. And when it says God speaks, the word is Jesus. From the beginning of the Bible, when in Genesis, God spoke the world into being, and he spoke the animals, and he spoke, when he does that, when he speaks, that is Jesus. See, if you read the Old Testament and you read Genesis, it actually, that in the creation, there is God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit in creation. It's right there. When God breathed, that's the Spirit. When God breathed life into Adam, that was the Spirit. When he spoke, that was Jesus. John says that Jesus is the Word of God. So remember, who's doing the wooing? Jesus is wooing you. From the beginning of time, Jesus has been wooing us. He wants a relationship with us. He wants to be a part of our lives. See, Jesus is greater. This is one of the major themes of the whole book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is about Jesus' greatness. See, Jesus is greater than every person, practice, policy, and procedure in the Old Testament. The fact that Jesus is unquestionably greater than people and practices in the Old Testament is not just an abstract idea with little bearing on life today. 
but rather it demonstrates the fact that God's plan to redeem his people has moved forward in the person and work of Jesus. See, the author of Hebrews dives the, drives this point home, the greatness of Jesus, by comparing him to a number of people and events from the Old Testament. Hebrews 1-2 says this, But in these last days, he is spoken to by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So Jesus is greater than every person in the Old Testament. See, Jesus is the son of God who represents the father perfectly. He represents God perfectly. He says himself, To know him is to know the Father. He tells his disciples this. He never, he never does not claim to be God. Jesus throughout his whole life claims he is God. Just by in the statements he makes. And when they ask him, he never denies it. He never denies who he is. Because he knows who he is. He's comfortable with who he is. He represents the Father perfectly. As a result, Jesus is greater than the angels. He is greater than the angels. And he is better than Adam. He is better than Adam. You see, Adam, Adam was born into this world. Made by God. God breathed life into him. I wonder if he had a belly button. He breathed life into him. Well, it's just so much the way he was created. He wasn't born, so he didn't need an umbilical cord. So I'm like, does he have a belly button or not? It's just just out there. But but uh, (laughs) but anyway, but anyway, he was not perfect. But God still created him. And then he took a bone out of Adam's side and created Eve. And then, and then, what did he do? He got tempted. Do you know why he got tempted? This is a point in a minute. I'm going to say this. So you'll all know the answer. But, But how many people think that the devil resides in hell right now. He doesn't. Where was the devil thrown? He was thrown into the garden of Eden. He was thrown into the garden of Eden. So God threw him there. And he slivers along on his belly to tempt Eve. And I blame everything on Adam, because Adam was not a manly man, obviously, because he didn't stand up for his wife. He let his wife be deceived by, the, by, by Satan. And then Adam goes, oh yeah, me eat fruit. Fruit good. And eats fruit. And then he's naked. And realizes he's naked. He was naked before. He just realizes he's naked. 
And I'm really confused at that part of the story too because I'm thinking they're both naked. What's there to be ashamed about? I'm the only man you've ever seen, Eve. You're the only woman I've ever seen. I've got nobody to compare yourself. I don't know where the shame comes from. There's more to that than meets the eye. I've got to one day dig deeper into that because that's what I thought. Where does the shame come from? Then, But Adam was tempted in the garden. So when Jesus came, what did Je- they have Jesus had to be tempted? He wasn't only tempted once. He was tempted more than once. He was tempted in, in, in the, when he had to do 40 days in the desert. But then he was tempted again in Gethsemane. He was tempted again in Gethsemane. Two times he was tempted. Two times he had to, well, four times if you count each temptation, but, but he had to deny, and that's the only temptations we know of, by the way. But he denied himself and chose his father. And by the way, we go, well, he's God. He's, he was fully man and fully God, else he couldn't have been tempted. He is asking in the garden for the cup to be passed by. He asked his father for another way for this to end. If that isn't temptation, I don't know what is. If that isn't even thinking about falling into temptation, but he kept praying. Maybe that's something we should learn to do. Keep praying. So he is a better Adam. He's superior to Abraham. Abraham left his village. He was, he was a, there was no Israelites, by the way, before Abraham. Abraham was the first. His, he, he really, his children. But, 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 but he was the guy that God chose. So he said, leave your family. Leave your dwelling place. And you're going to be a nomad and travel this way. And I'm going to take you to Canaan. And he did. He did exactly what he wanted. I promised, promised him a son. Okay. And we could go. He was the better Abraham because he left his home. Can you imagine that? I can't wait to go to heaven, by the way. It's going to be awesome. No mourning. No pain. Just peace. And in the presence of God. That is awesome. I don't think anybody that goes to heaven is coming back. I don't believe the book. Right? I'm saying, I think if you go to heaven, you're staying. That's just my, my point. I'm like, wow. Don't send me back, God. Please leave me here. I mean, you see God, you're not leaving. You, you meet Jesus face to face. You are hanging out with Jesus. I'm telling you, that's just the way I think that's going to roll. Okay? You're not leaving. But Jesus decided to leave heaven. Remember, this happened before the creation of time that he decided this. Because God is all-knowing. 
So you've got God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. They're just hanging out, talking among themselves, probably having a barbecue. You know, get some good brisket on their barbecue. And uh, he's just cooking away, talking. They're they're just chit-chatting. Hey, how about this? Let's create the world. And then let's put people on there. And, and, and we do know that they're going to be trouble. We do know that they're not going to listen to anything we tell them. They are going to do everything. They're going to make it difficult. And by the way, Jesus, you're going to have to go and become one. You're going to have to become a baby and be, rely on a dumb human to take care of you until you can do your mission that we're going to have for you and live a life for, for, for your 33 years that is perfect, sinless. But then you're going to get beaten and nailed to a cross. What are we waiting for? Let's go. Let's make them. And he does. And then he chooses. So he chooses to leave heaven. Not a a crap town. He doesn't leave a crap town. He leaves heaven to come to earth to pay for our sins. That is the God we're talking about. That is Jesus. That is what makes him superior to every person that's ever lived. He is greater than Moses. I mean, Moses, what an idiot. I mean, I'm a lot like Moses because I would have done what Moses did. I would have broke the tablets and went back up and had to have God carve me some new ones because that's a temper thing. And I would have been like, damn, after I did it. Oh, back up the mountain. But, but, but he, he, helps, sees all these miracles, and so do, by the way, all the Israelites, see all these miracles. The, the Red Sea is parted, they cross, they get, they get all this stuff, they, they're like, whoa, this is great. No, Moses is gone for a few days, and they're making another God. They're not actually making another God, they're making an image of the God that saved them, but they picked a poor image, maybe that's all the gold they had. And they could only make a little calf or whatever. I don't know. But, 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 but Moses was poor, poor because he made poor decisions. He, he was supposed to, he, he rescued the people out because God used him to rescue the people out. And he's just an example of Jesus rescuing us. But he did a poor job of it because he didn't even get to go in the promised land because he didn't listen to God. He didn't even get to go in the promised land. And then you could go David. David was a warrior. And we always go, oh. I mean, Jewish people think David is it. I mean, they are David, he the man, right? Moran, maybe. He's not the man. Because what he does is, we look at the story like the story of, of David and Goliath, for instance. He represents, by the way, there's a lot to that and I'm not going to get into it, but, but Goliath represents Satan in that story. 
There's a lot of symbol to the Satan if you use the Hebrew words, which I'm not sure. I'm good with the Hebrew words. I just know what they that they use for the 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 the, 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 the costume he's got on actually translates scales. Just just a little bit weird that that the outfit that Goliath is wearing is translated scales if you take the Hebrew word. Uh, I only know that because I listen to good rap music that explains Hebrew to me. So, uh, he represents the devil. David represents Jesus. I despise, I like Max Lucado. Max Lucado should have never wrote a book saying, if we pick up the right stones, we're going to whack the giant because that is not what the story represents. We are the miserable Israelites sitting in the background and David is Jesus taking on the sin of the world. That is what that story represents. It's not us conquering our giants. That is not what that story is about. And I like Max Lucado, but when you write, write about and put us in the hero's position, we're putting ourselves in a dangerous place because we are not the hero of the story. We are not the heroes of any story in the Bible. He is... He is ultimately the ultimate apostle and leader of God's people. See, because all of all these things, Jesus and Jesus alone is the only person who can save, serve as, serve as an anchor for our souls. No one in the Old Testament comes close to Jesus in terms of their importance. Jesus is greater than them all. Hebrews 1, 3 through 4 says this, he is the radiance of glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. See, Jesus is greater than every event in the Old Testament. Every event that happened in the Old Testament, Jesus is greater of. See, animal sacrifices in the Old Testament were never intended to be the end in themselves. The covering that they provided was only temporary. And sacrificial system, the sacrificial system was placed right after sin entered the world. The first sacrifice was made by God. Because he comes down, he sees Adam and Eve hiding in the garden like you can hide from God. And because they were naked and ashamed, they put sewn fig leaves together or tied them together, whatever they did, and made a bikini and a speedo and out of fig leaves. So they're hiding and God shows up on the, on the, on the scene and he, he goes, well, that's not enough to cover you. So he kills an animal. You know, some commentaries say that when he killed that animal, it was more than likely a lamb. Interesting. I think that's just interesting. I, I, I'm sure it's speculation, but it was the first sacrifice. He made clothes to cover them. He made clothes to cover them. And then we've got Cain and Abel made sacrifices. 
Cain, not so good. But by the way, it wasn't what Cain gave. It was his heart, because God knows the heart behind the sacrifice. And that's what, what caused Cain to do what he did and kill Abel. The, and then there was Moses and the plagues. And, and he said, what I want you to do is smear blood over the door. It had to be a, go, a, 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 a lamb without blemish. And they smeared the blood above the door. And death would pass over any house that had that smeared over the door. Because death was after sin. And even though they were God's people, they were full of sin. And, and why are, were they in the predicament? Why were they even in Egypt in the first place? Because this is why. Because God preserved them, but this is what was supposed to happen. Joseph went, went before them, remember, if you know the story. And he, he became second most powerful person in Egypt. And he saved his people. But after this, after the, because it was only seven year famine, remember that? So, so they could have left after the famine. They went back to their own country. But what did they choose to do? Stay in Egypt because they had it. Their, their family member, he was second in command until he died. And then a new king come along. And now they're in Egypt for a few hundred years. And now they're not. Beloved people in Egypt, they're slaves in Egypt. Because they were comfortable. Sound familiar? You can get comfortable and become slaves. Not slaves to people, but slaves to the world. Slaves to the views of the world. The, instead, God, being God, designed the entire sacrificial system, though, as a means of pointing people to an ultimate sacrifice for their sins. Jesus and his work on the cross. See, Jesus' death established a permanent path by which sinful people could have a relationship with a holy God. See, before this, we couldn't be in the presence of God. We couldn't be. We would just fizzle and be an oil spot on the ground if we were in the presence of God before Jesus. But because of Jesus' sacrifice, because of what Jesus did for you, when God looks at you, he sees Jesus' life. He sees Jesus' death. He sees Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He has put Jesus' perfectness on you. And he's took away your sin and your dirt and he washed you clean. So when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees Jesus' perfect perfection of a life. That is why we can be in the presence of God. Not because of anything we've done. Not because of anything we can do. See... Jesus' death established a permanent path by which sinful people could have a relationship with a holy God. God promised a day when he would give his people the ability to obey him 
A day when he would live in harmony with his people once more. With this in view, Jesus made Jesus made a new covenant between people and God. See, that's what he talks about at the table, that there's a new covenant. But by the way, Jesus didn't say the old comfort, the covenants are dead. He doesn't say what was written in the Old Testament doesn't count anymore. I will say this till the day I die. Jesus ups the ante in every aspect of life. If you choose to follow Jesus and submit your life to Christ and actually follow him, that means if you, when Jesus says, he says this, then no more, come follow me. He's saying, stop listening to what the world says is important. And start listening to what I'm saying important. So now there's no need for you to lie. There's no need for you to cheat. There's no need for you to sin. Because it's not going to benefit you. Be honest with people. Love people. People are messy. People are messy. We are messy. We are messy. See, God promised a day when he would give his people that. With this view in mind, Jesus made that new covenant. And he became the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. See, finally, Jesus is the pioneer and perfecter, which means that he is where people first encounter God. The first time you encounter God, it's Jesus. And when you keep encountering God, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. He is God. Jesus never changes. We talked about that last week. He is unlike so many patterns and seasons of this life. God and Jesus and the Spirit, they're one. And they do not change ever. So an encounter with God... People simply need to go to Jesus and trust in his sacrificial work to cover their sins. We are going to sin. But why choose to sin? Why choose it? Because we can say, well, God loves us. His grace abounds. We can do whatever we want. And we can just go to God and say, I'm sorry. I mean, that's pretty weak faith, in my opinion. It's not making Jesus Lord over your life. And all of us grow at different speeds. And all of us will never be perfect. And we can't attain this by trying to be perfect. We have to lay at the foot of the cross and take our sins To Christ. And you don't have the same sins as me. I used my dad as an example. My dad is an alcoholic. He is one drink away from being a drunk. And he's got 38, 7, 8, 37, 38, 38 years sober. 38 years sober. But he is only one drink from being a drunk. 
I don't struggle with alcoholism. I think if somebody seen my bourbon collection in this church, they'd probably fire me. But, that's, but I don't drink. I do, but I don't drink. My doctor says, how much do you drink this week? I said, well, I, the only drink I drink is really I have bourbon. I collect bourbon. And I drink twice a month, maybe. There's nothing wrong with drinking. Drinking's not the sin. Drunkenness is the sin. See, this is what I'm trying to say here, is my dad has to not drink because that's a sin for him. If you struggle with drug addiction or alcoholism, that's your sin. I've got plenty of my own that I struggle with. That's, I've got plenty of my own that I struggle with. But, 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 you, but people, I can't oppress my views on you when it comes to sin because every sin is not for everybody. Now, there's certain sins are for everybody, obviously. Shall not kill. That means, by the way, you shall never look at anybody like you hate them. That's what Jesus says, not me. That's what Jesus' standards for murder is. I just have to look at you and hate you, and I may as well have, have stabbed you with a knife. To him, that's murder. That's Jesus, not me. And, and I exist for the rest of my life to glorify God, not man. I will never, ever, ever stand up here and say stuff that doesn't come from the Bible, that doesn't, doesn't actually mean I want to lift up God and take man down. I think man has got too much of a foothold and they want to be king. And we don't need to be king. We have a king. His name is Jesus. Because he is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. He is going to grow us into the person he wants us to be. And he's going to use our good things and bad things. He's going to take away your bad things if you allow him to. Because he is the healer. If he can tell some woman 2,000 years ago to go sin no more, he can do that to you too. It's if you allow him, if you submit to him, if you allow him to be ruler over your life. None of us are going to do this perfectly because we like to get back on that throne as quick as possible. But hopefully there's bigger time gaps between when we're jumping back on our own throne again. There's time gaps where we're, we're get letting Jesus sit there a lot longer as we grow in our faith, as we mature, because we realize that Jesus is superior to anything in this world. There is nothing in this world that can take his place ever. So, this week... Had you read the whole book of Hebrews, I don't know who did it. I'm not going to quiz you because that's between you and God. But I'm going to ask you this week to read verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 5 through 14. That's the rest of chapter 1, 5 through 14, when it talks about Jesus being superior to angels and, and gets into a little bit more detail. So let us pray.
Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for being such a great and awesome God and that you are superior to all man. You are superior to all creation because you created it, God. So you're a ruler over it. You're a ruler over our lives. We just have to submit to you and ask you to come into our lives and to take our sin away and to grow us into the people that you want us to be. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.